I want to see what that dad bod can do out there. Not buying your banjos around the campfire. Shove them up your ass. Welcome into Football Nova F-Words. My name is Zach Lyons. You can follow me on Twitter at F-WordsPod. We are part of the BroadwaySportsMedia.com media group, I guess we can explain or say it like that. I don't, I don't really like how to figure out how to say it. Like, is it we're part of the Broadway Sports Media Network, I guess is what I should be saying. But we're also part of the 440 Sports Network. We're just part of everything. We're, we're lovers. You know, we, we just love everybody. And so we're a part of everyone part of your lives and everything Uh, coming up on Monday, August 22nd, Broadway sports media is making a huge announcement, a bunch of fun things on the horizon. So make sure that you're following broadwaysportsmedia.com and Broadway TN on Twitter. Mike is joining me from pawkarski.com noted Burks and Willis hater. And uh, he's joined me today, but before we get into some, let him do some damage control, some PR damage control here, we have a new sponsor, and it is Jasper's. Jasper's is where the old Blackstone Brewery used to be, Mike. Do you know where that's at? I do, I know. Across from Amerigo's and Vanderbilt and everything is an awesome sports bar. Have you been there yet? I have not, no, unfortunately. Okay, so we we did our the year uh, the twenty twenty one draft live stream was done at Jasper's. So if you go back and watch and those videos with four forty sports, I was supposed to be there for that, and you did were not end up being able to make it. So, but it is the next evolution of sports bar, and it's one of my personal favorite places to go. And we're, they're taking bar food to like a whole new level, Mike. And let me tell you why: they have a dish that has pork rinds and tortilla chips and a bunch of cheese dip. How awesome is that? I mean, you you get everything you want. Yeah, Yeah, you get everything you want. And they have happy hour every day, cold beer. They have everything you need, right? So I look at it this way. So it's kind of like it's a sports bar, but doesn't look like a sports bar. Like there's a room back in the back with skee-ball, with Jenga, with some, uh, they got projector screen back there and everything. But like, Let's say that you're getting off a of church on a Sunday, right? And you're you know the Titans game is coming on, and you got the kid, you got the wife, and she's like, you know, I don't really want to go to the, you know, to uh, Applebee's. I don't know where you, you take uh, your wife, Mike, but some people take uh, their wife's Applebee's. Not Applebee's, I love her. So I mean, uh, but <laughs> you you got to watch the Titans game, right? You you got to kind of like pay attention to your family and watch the Titans game. You know, spend a little Sunday family time. Jasper's is the perfect place. It's a trap. It's a trap for your wife because you can actually go to a nice looking restaurant with great food but plenty of TVs within eyesight. It's, it's perfect. It's the perfect sports bar. It's key. Uh, you know, a good wife trap is always uh, yeah. appreciated. Uh, yeah. Need, need as many of those in the back pocket as possible. So if, if our listeners head down to Jasper's, you got all of August left. If you head down to Jasper's, I'm holding a contest for them. Go to Jasper's for drinks, dinner, lunch, brunch, happy hour. It doesn't matter. Just get to Jasper's and get you some food, get you some alcohol in your tummy. Take a picture of your drinks and or food, upload it on Twitter, and tag my account, so at FWordsPod, and Jasper's account, at Jasper's Nashville, in the tweet. Don't tag us in the picture, just in case I don't want to get lost when I'm searching for your name and searching for your tweet. And make sure to save your receipt, because here's why. 
on the first podcast episode in September, I'm going to draw from a random follower who tweeted and tagged us with a picture, me and Jasper's Nashville. And if you're drawn, you'll get up to $50 from me personally towards your bar tab. So that's why you got to save your receipt. Your tip's not included because you should be tipping people anyway. And if the receipt, the receipt shows you went on a date and time during a Titans game, there's two games left in August, I'll bump it up to $75 limit, not including Whoa. tip. Whoa. All so right. you got to do that. You got to go in August and you got to tag me and you got to tag Jasper's Nashville on Twitter. Instagram won't count. Uh, I don't really check Instagram. Facebook ain't going to count. <laughs> Friendster, MySpace, none of that place count. Twitter, at EffortsPod, at Jasper's Nash, J-A-S-P-E-R-S-N-A-S-H. On the tweet, in the tweet. Put it in the tweet. That's all you got to do. Picture, right. food. Keep your receipt, because if you don't have your receipt and you get drawn, you're shit out of luck, and I'll just go to the next person. I ain't got time for your foolishness not following the rules. Yeah, I've got to be honest. I'm really bad about keeping receipts, even yeah. when I know I'm supposed to be keeping them. So yeah, The, the key is one. to take a picture of the receipt. You don't okay. have to. Yeah, like, yeah. if you take the picture of the receipt, got to have the date and the time and the price on there, obviously, and the money you spent. But take a picture of it. Then you won't have to worry about actually holding a physical receipt for like a few weeks. That's good. That's good. See, you got to think ahead. I'm thinking yeah. ahead for my listeners. It's important. Uh, Mike, you write for paulkarski.com. I do. You put out tweets. I do. And this last week and a half has probably been hell for you. <laughs> so you, uh, put you, know, out a t- <laughs> you put out a tweet for NBC Sports Edge saying that Malik Willis – they, they take your tweet out of context, and it basically says, they, they say that Malik Willis is basically probably, we're recording this on Tuesday before the final cut, or the cut to down to 85, so they took it as he's getting cut today. Um, Burks, Burks. Yeah, Burks. And then you put out another tweet during the game or after the game talking about, like, winners or losers or whatever it was, like, guys you're excited about or impressed with, and you put Malik Willis in parentheses as a runner, and now you're racist and you are you're a, a rookie Titans hater. Uh, I'm going to give you some some breathing room here, some runway, do some damage control for your brand. All right. So, I mean, for one, I don't think I, I should be doing any damage control. I didn't I still don't think I did anything wrong with any of these uh, instances. But let's let's do the Burks one first, because this is stupid. Um, they're both stupid, but the, the Burks one especially. Uh, Two tweets that I sent. I, I think I sent one describing a play that Malik Willis threw uh, a pass to Traylon Burks down the sidelines. And I said, you know, hey, Burks made a spectacular catch. The corner ended up pushing him out before he could get his second foot down. But the catch he made was unbelievable. Like, great play. Um, very impressive. And then the second tweet was, there was a play during one of their hurry-up periods where Logan Woodside sent, sent Burks in motion and then had to correct him to push him further out away from the formation. He just didn't line up in the right spot when he came across the motion. So Woodside corrected him, moved him out. Um, and I said, you know, I wanted to note that just because I feel like a lot of people want, you know, the Burks, the Burks thing had a lot of hype early in camp. Um, and I feel like a lot of people were going to be freaking out if, if week one came out in the Titans lineup for the first snap and it's, uh, Robert Woods and Nicholas, or uh, not Nicholas, uh, uh, Nick Westbrook. I mean, maybe Aquino. he is a Nicholas. We don't he, really know. He probably, yeah, he probably could be a, a Nicholas Westbrook Aquino. Uh, 
or the lined up wide receivers in 12 personnel and people are just gonna go oh my god Traylon Burks is a bust I wanted to point out the the Woodside thing because I think it's that's part of this right like that's part of why they bring rookies along slowly is because in a hurry up situation in a two minute situation even just in a regular play situation rookies are swimming in these playbooks like these playbooks are huge they have a lot going on and it's not just like some people may uh bite back on that and say but it's todd downing's playbook is it really that complicated uh, it is it is i can (laughs) can promise you because like the the offense that you ran in middle school uh where they had like eight plays and one of them was named like cheeseburger and then the other two you know it was these these stupid plays that you know you had you know basic basic formations, basic plays that, that, you know, you just memorize and ran all of these plays in an NFL playbook have like 13 variations off of them where like, if there's middle of field close, you're running this route. If it's middle of field open, you're running this route. And these guys got to be able to see it and adjust to it on the fly. And as the defense rotates in coverage, you've got to be able to change the route and see it through the same eyes that your quarterback is seeing it. So it's very, very complicated what they ask wide receivers to do at the NFL level. So Burks, his head's probably swimming right now. He's still trying to learn the playbook, all that stuff. He doesn't have, you know, he missed a few reps in mini camp, all that stuff. Like all that goes into it. And I just wanted to note that because I think it's important that people will have correct expectations. Um, so that's all that I, I noted there. And then I mentioned that um, I think it was uh, uh, the wide receivers get Rob Moore. Um got on to Burks about running through a route at one point he came off the field and he was saying hey man you got to keep running through that like you've got to dig all the way through that route um you know he kind of let up at the end of the route um and Moore's getting on to him about it somehow NBC Sports Edge takes this and blurbs it to Traylon Burks working with second and third team and running the wrong routes lining up wrong <laughs> all the time he's terrible like it was this wild leap to conclusions because like, yes, he did have those snaps with Woodside and Willis, but he also had a lot of snaps with Tannehill. And I didn't specifically mention any of those plays because nothing notable happened on that day uh, with those Tannehill Burke snaps. But if you go back and look at any other day, you see plenty of Tannehill complete to Burks, blah, blah, blah. Very first day of camp. We, you know, it opened with a Tannehill bomb to Burks. Right. So um He's working with all the quarterbacks. All of the receivers are working with all the quarterbacks. It was an in, such an insane leap. And then it got picked up from that NBC <laughs> by Sports everybody. by NFL.com, ESPN Fantasy Focus, like 10 million different things. And I'm seeing these headlines, Traylon Burks working with second and third string. And I'm like, oh God, like this is all coming back to two tweets that didn't even say he was working second and third string. They just picked up off of the fact that Woodside and Willis had reps with him. Uh, so it's, it, those could have been the only two Willis and Woodside reps that happened all day. Uh, and they wouldn't have known any different. So it, it's just wild. These conclusions that these people who are not at camp jump to and then run with, and it just goes like wildfire. Like anything negative goes like wildfire. That's so, so will Burks make the final 53? Yes. yes. Okay. He, so he, you, a total <laughs> change of opinion by you. A 180. A, yeah, one, a complete I, I have, 180. Uh, I have completely flipped here, but yeah, Burks is. <laughs> Look, Burks is going to be one of the top four receivers. Yeah. He's going to play a lot. And look, I, it's possible he's not the starter week one. And I still think that's in play um, because they do like 
Westbrook Akina and Westbrook Akina really knows what he's doing. Like, uh, you know, he knows the playbook inside and out. They can trust him to do everything that he is supposed to do. And that's important to coaches. Like, and I know that drives people crazy sometimes because a lot of times it means less talented players playing over more talented players. But when a guy runs the wrong route and it becomes an interception, that's a huge deal too. Right. So like that, that is the whole reason that I was even <laughs> trying to get that out there. Is it is it smart for the team to keep Traylon Burks on the final 53 considering that he only had zero for one, you know, uh, one target, and no catches in the uh, game. And he was obviously terrible, but only if you look at the box score. Right. Yeah. The box score scouts really having a field day with Traylon <laughs> Burks' first preseason game. And, you know, I, I did see Greg Rosenthal, which I really like Greg Rosenthal. Rosenthal. I think he does good work. But he was on Burks playing into the fourth quarter in the preseason and saying that's not a good sign and all this. I don't think that's true. I, I think the reason Burks was playing so late is they clearly want to see more out of him. And he got almost no opportunities early in the game because of the other point that we were going to talk about, which is Malik Willis doesn't throw the football. Um, I, I think the Titans, I, I think I added it up. They had they called something like 20 dropbacks for Willis. And I think he yeah. only attempted 11 passes. Um, yeah, it was, it was like 19 or 20. Um, yeah. I don't know. I know he had the sacks. So I don't know how that affects the 19 versus 20 in uh, from what I remember seeing on PFF, but yeah. it was 19 or 20 right there. But yeah, it, it was uh, okay here. I've got it in front of me. Yes, it was 19. Um, so 19 dropbacks. He only attempted 11 passes. And, and a lot of those were, or at least, Two of them were screens. Um, some of them were check down, stuff like that. So, but the point being, I don't, I don't think he targeted the wide receivers more than like he threw the one to Phillips, which was almost picked off. And then he threw once to, to Dez. Once uh, to Racy. Once to Racy. Um, but that was about it. I can't remember Willis targeting uh, another receiver. He had another ball that was thrown like in Josh Malone's general vicinity, but I think he was mostly just throwing that one away. So, yeah, I think that's the reason. And Mason Kinsey. There was a Mason Kinsey pass right. in the 35 seconds. So he had uh, one attempt to like three or four different receivers um, throughout the game, which, you know, none of, none of those were Burks, but as we've seen some of the all 22 stuff that's already been floated out on Twitter and I've, I've now gone back and watched all 22 uh, Burks was open um, several times in, in a, a couple times on some pretty deep routes that could have been big gains and could have really changed the narrative um, of how his first preseason performance was viewed. So I, I don't think there's any cause for alarm on Burks right now. I think he's a guy that's working through like, and look, there was, um, I saw it from, God, I can't remember the guy's name now. Uh, he's a fantasy analyst. And I, I tweeted some, or I retweeted one of his tweets yesterday uh, about Burks. But, you know, if you go back to his Arkansas games, it, you know, over, I think, 40% of his total yards were basically on screens or goes. Um, so he did a lot of damage on just running those two routes and that you know a go i do think is a, a viable route like that that takes some ability to be able to release uh off of press or even just run by um a, a defensive back so i think that does take some skill but the screens are mostly just getting the ball in your hands and letting a playmaker make plays which is fine and i think they are going to do that with him with the titans 
but a lot of this is he didn't have to run a very complicated offense at Arkansas. And so he's learning how to run some of these routes for the first time. Um, so I think you're seeing a guy that's working through that stuff. Nothing more, nothing less. I think that physical talent is obvious, jumps out at you. I don't think his route running has been an issue in camp. Like, it's not like people have been like, oh, God, Burks just can't separate. Um, so I think I think he's going to be perfectly fine. If if you're uh, in a fantasy league where, where, you know, people are panicking on Burks and not drafting him or drafting him super late, take advantage, get him. He may not, he might not put up huge numbers right away, but I bet by the end of the year, he's going to be putting up some pretty good fantasy numbers. Before the game, and I need to check, see what he is after the game. Before the preseason game, he was going in the 12th round and he was going in the eighth round in May. Now 12th Uh, round. And I wonder if this game didn't drop him even further. I should check that. Yeah. If if that's happening, yeah, I would grab Burks, uh, you know, anytime in that, that range. I I think he's a huge upside because he's going to, he's going to score touchdowns. Like, even if he's on a low, he actually moved count. up around. He's in the eleventh okay. round. Okay, so maybe maybe people are seeing these snapshots of him being wide open uh, downfield on Twitter. And, and look, say what you want about Ryan Tannehill, but those are balls that Ryan Tannehill throws. Um, yeah, and and he's he's going to be far more decisive than Willis was in this game. And that's what we need to talk about with Willis too. <laughs> is look. The playmaking is obvious. Like, it's so clear that this guy is a special, special talent when it comes to just, like, playmaking, elusiveness, being able to, you know, make guys miss either in the pocket or outside the pocket. And that is super exciting. Like, there was so much to be excited about out of this game. But then if you watch the actual game, there are receivers open all over the place, and he's not throwing the ball. And that's ultimately why he was pulled and what Mike Vrabel said after the game. And it's just so obvious. And look, it was, and let me say something to, to, to defend you, not that you necessarily need it. It was obvious when the game was going on, there were times I'm screaming at the TV saying, throw the ball. And it was obvious to the staff. And I'm sure it was obvious to Burks once he watched the tape. So I think there's three levels of, Basically, it was so fucking obvious that he was having a hard time deciding where to go with the ball and to actually pull the trigger on some NFL open throws. Not everything was clear open. A lot of routes were clear open, but there were a lot of NFL open throws that he had to make, and he didn't make them. It's just it's just facts. Like At yeah. this point, if you're going to deny that, then you're just a fact denier. You're basically a flat earther. Uh, you know, a COVID denier that it even ever existed. You think birds are real. That's what you are. Yeah. And, and this is, I think this is the problem, right? Like people, some people made up their minds that they thought Willis was awesome before this game. And well, hell you see- had Sal put out a tweet that said that he went back and watched the college tape and he said, no flaws whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, Zero like, flaws. flaws. Remember that bullshit. fucking tweet? That's, what a yeah, stupid-ass yeah. fucking tweet from it's, a stupid-ass fucking account. The, the reason this guy went in the third round is because of stuff like this. And this is what we're seeing. Like, I think everyone, everyone with any reasonable uh, understanding of, of NFL football understood that Willis was going to be a little bit of a project. And that's not a slight on him and it's not, you know, look, he played at Liberty. He played in an offense that was 
you know, designed to accentuate his talent and skill set, which is fine. And you can get away with that when you're like by miles the best player on the field um, at, at Liberty playing against, you know, Coastal Carolina and, you know, which he by far was Coastal Coastal was a a pretty good team. So like these other teams that they played that were way worse than Coastal, um, you know, you can get by with that, but like now you're playing against NFL defenses, NFL talent all over the field. And look, Willis looked like the best player, like the best athlete on the field in on Thursday night's game too. Like that is what I think is super encouraging is that look, he, he was destroying people. And he obviously made uh first round Ravens, first round pick. um, Kyle Kyle Hamilton, Kyle Hamilton uh, made him whiff on that, on that touchdown run in the backfield. There was some stuff that was genuinely impressive, but it all came as a runner. It was not like it, but you know, he did have the throw to McMath. I thought was good. The throw to Kinsey was really good. He showed the throw to uh, Haskins, frankly, was really good on that, uh, that crosser, even though he probably should have hit Kinsey on that play. Um, yep. So it's, uh, there was some stuff like the arm talent, I think is clear. It's there. Like he throws a ball with NFL velocity. He throws. And he made sometimes to Braden's point, he said on a football show on Monday, maybe with too much velocity in certain areas of the field. I think that's, that's part of it too. He's going to need to learn how to kind of feather the ball in there a little bit and and work on that touch. And and frankly, I thought uh, there was a ball that he threw to Des um, as he was kind of scrambling, right that he overthrew him just a little bit, but it was a hell of a throw. Like to even get it to where Des could get a hand on the ball um, was a hell of a throw just given where he was at on the field. Um, So there was a lot to be excited about, but he has got so far to go, like so far to go from the standpoint of just being comfortable reading an NFL defense and cutting it loose. And and that's, that's what, and and being consistently doing that stuff. Like, because on the first and 10 where he went to the fullback, he actually read the full field if you watch it. And he went through all the reads and progressions, and he made the right decision throwing it to Torrey Carter. Torrey Carter should have caught it. Now, you can you can say that maybe Malik Willis made it a little hard on Torrey Carter to catch it, but my philosophy is if it hits your hands, you better fucking catch the ball. Yeah, And right. he made the right decision because if you look at it, he could have gone to Racy McMath, who was uh, the receiver behind Torrey Carter, because the defensive back, I believe is a defensive back, yeah, was the defender was coming towards Torrey Carter, but then all of a sudden he broke off. So there, that's why there was that hesitation. So he made the right decision. And, and he saw all three receivers. He looked at them all. But then you go to other plays, and he doesn't do that. He yeah. is one read, and then he panics, and then he leaves the pocket. And now listen. Jordan Wilkins didn't instill him with much faith out there <laughs> by by looking like a shithead and not knowing how to block. And I'll say that Aaron Brewer scared him on one play, even though Aaron Brewer actually over came back and corrected and caught his guy. I understand those plays a little bit, but you you still have to what they were wanting him to do was totally different than what he went out there and did. They were wanting him to stay in the pocket, feel the heat feel some NFL pressure, and throw the football. That's what they wanted him to do. He did not do that. Plain and simple, doesn't matter really what else on the field. Like, even the second and seven touchdown, uh, that touchdown in the second quarter, great, cool play, right? But technically, if he would have stayed patient and kept rolling out to his right, 
he would have had two open receivers because you actually see those receivers continue their route and play through the game and the defensive backs follow them the whole time. And they both curled to the front pylon to where they'd be open. That's an NFL touchdown through the air. That's what they wanted him to see. They didn't really want him to run around and scramble. They know he can do that. Everybody knows he can do that. So they want to see the stuff that you can't do. And that's the thing that I think people are lacking. They they see the cool plays, but they're not paying attention to why he got pulled out and the words coming out of their mouths of what they want to do. And that gets you into the Logan Woodside thing where Logan Woodside, yeah, he threw two interceptions, but he did what they wanted him to do. They, he was doing what Malik Willis was supposed to do, which was sling the ball and, and try to move the fit ball down the field through the air. And and I'll say this too about Woodside, and and I don't think like Woodside is what he is. Like he is average to below average in every way, right? Like he's a below average size, below average speed, below average arm talent. Like I think he's he's got a decent enough arm. Um, and, and his big thing is that he knows the offense. And frankly, you know, he made a big. Big mistake, I thought, on the the Godwin, uh, the interception that he was trying to throw the ball to Godwin down the right sideline where he just kind of floated a ball up. Godwin did him no favors on that route because he, you know, tried to release inside uh, and then realized he needed to be outside and, like, almost stopped mid-route to change yeah. and try to get back outside. And, that and they even said that got a poor decision, but Godwin didn't help make the decision yeah. any better. Yeah, it was it was bad. Like it was clearly bad by both there. And then the other throw was was I think more of a nice play by the defender than anything else. Like it, it almost and frankly it was reminiscent of Tannehill's interception that basically ended the Titans season last year, where he's throwing the ball and the guy, the receiver Kinsey in this case, did have inside leverage and he put the ball on him, but the defender was able to come over and get his hand on it and kind of tip it to, uh, you know, and there happened to be another defender in the area to catch it. So I don't think he was necessarily should be thrown off the, you know, off the plank uh, over that interception. The Godwin one was way worse, but I should also say that this was by far his worst preseason performance. And it's just one performance. And it was with a bottom of the barrel offensive line and a bottom the of the worst group of receivers for the most part. I had never heard of Willie Wright until the next day when I saw his name listed somewhere. And I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> That's what Logan Woodside was out there with, by the way, yeah. a guy named Willie Wright. That's all you need to know. So, and you know, Woodside, if you're asking me who gives him a better chance to win a football game right now, I think Willis does, but he's got a long way to go before they're going to be really comfortable with him because right now he's not running the offense. He's just like improvising and making plays, which again, like you said, they know that he can do that, What they want him to use these preseason reps for, and these preseason reps are super valuable. Um, They want him to use those reps to push himself outside of his comfort zone and try to make plays that he is not necessarily used to making. So I think it'll be very telling to see what he looks like next week uh, against the Bucks, um, because it is he has so far to go based on that first game. Um, and look, I think he can get there just because I think he's a smart kid. Uh, I think he's a hard worker. He seems very humble and like willing to learn and take coaching and all that stuff. So all that stuff tells me like 
this is a project still worth undertaking for the Titans because like I do feel like he can grow and the areas that he needs to improve in are areas that can be taught um, and he can learn but it's just going to take a lot of reps and a lot of like him getting used to pulling the trigger on these throws that he's never been asked to do before like he's never been asked to make these throws i don't think he's ever had the time to make these throws either like oh, i think that i think that kind of freaked him out too i felt like is that wait i have all this time and there's long developing routes or these these kinds of routes that i'm not kind of used to and i'm like and pressure's not on me i mean still has the longest time to throw on just normal drop back passes so those 11 throws and he basically has the longest time to throw. And that's probably something he's not used to because he's used to playing behind a shitty offensive line and probably having to make all these plays. And it's just an adjustment period. And so I think that's the thing where I think we're both at, and we talked about it on a football show on Monday, was the lack of middle ground. But what scares me is that these Malikians are turning into Mariota stands and it's getting to a point where... They're they're already giving every excuse in the book, despite what the film tells you, and despite what facts tell you, they're still making every excuse in the book. Let's not go down that road, people. We don't need to turn Willis into a a martyr that if you say one bad thing about Willis that's factual, that is really objective, then that you hate Malik Willis. I think you would not find, and even I have written proof that I love Malik Willis. And I have told many people that I think that he could be a Mahomes-esque like player. And heck, he showed a little Mahomes to his game when he threw a curveball around that defender to Tommy Hudson. Yeah, that was a real bend the bullet type of uh, (laughs) throw right there. Yeah, so I I think he has all the tools, but it was going to be so obvious that unless he went to a team like Seattle or to a team like Pittsburgh or a team like Carolina that didn't really have great veteran competition, that he was going to be a redshirt year. And guess who was also a redshirt year? Patrick Mahomes. You know why? Because he was so raw and needed to learn so much. It's okay that to critique Malik on factual stuff. Now, if you're just like saying, well, he's just a big dumb idiot and he's never going to amount to anything and he sucks and, you know, what a waste of a third round pick. Yeah, those people deserve to get a little, you know, hate thrown their way. But when you got people putting out information like, okay, he's responsible. I think he had like nine pressures and he was responsible for like four or five of them. That's actual evidence and actual trackable data that just shows that he created his own pressure by holding on to the ball too long. You take both those things, that lets you know that he created his own pressure and that he's not getting rid of the ball. And there, when you go back and watch tape, and I did that on Monday as well, the, th- the, the play that got him off the field was a second and four, and there was a wide open Des Fitzpatrick. The next play, Logan comes in, another wide-open Des Fitzpatrick, and he doesn't see it. So it's not like these two are so far apart, but if you're going to ask me if the Titans, if Tannehill goes down in the game and their game plan is based around Ryan Tannehill's skill set, they're going to put in Logan Woodside, and they're going to feel good about that. Now, if Ryan Tannehill's out for the season, I think that they're going to play maybe Woodside like one or two games and then put Malik Willis in the rest of the way. 
I think that's just why they keep three quarterbacks. I just have this sneaky suspicion that Malikians are going to be t- just as bad as what Mariota stands are. But hopefully, Mario or uh, Malik is better than Mariota. Yeah, and and I will say that like, I it it did throw me for a little bit of a. Uh... Uh, I had some PTSD um, on, <laughs> on Thursday night and, and Friday uh, after that game, just because it reminded me so much of the 2019 Mariota stuff, because I, I remember at the beginning of that season, you know, it was Mariota, you know, coming back, he had had the uh, um, nerve damage the season before. And, and the, you know, this was the year he was finally going to put it all together. They'd gone and gotten AJ Brown. He had the best receiving core that he'd had, you know, in his Titans career. Um, it, w- it was all going to come together in 2019. And then he would go out there and, you know, he, you had the Browns game, but then like immediately after the Browns game, you rattle off like five weeks where they put up a, like a combined 30 points. Um, and it was just disaster after disaster on offense. And I started to point out, I was like, you know, people were freaking out saying, oh, well, these receivers suck. Corey Davis is awful, you know, all this stuff. Um, and I, I started to point out on Twitter that, no, there are open receivers. Mario is just not, just not throwing the ball. And he's in a lot of it was, you know, the receivers don't get open and the O-line can't block. And I kept pointing out, no. Mariota needs to throw the freaking football. Like he needs to throw the damn football when these guys are open and stop taking, he's causing these sacks. Like he is the primary cause of himself getting battered. Um, and I, you know, the Mariota people just went nuts on me. I mean, you know, you're an idiot. I can't believe you believe this, that, you know, that I thought, you know, you were smarter than this, all this stuff. Like, and then lo and behold, they switch to Tannehill and immediately the offense gets night and day better, like yep. night and day better. And so it, it reminded me a lot of that because a lot of what you're seeing on Twitter was like, oh, these receivers aren't getting open for him. The offensive line can't block. The offensive line was holding up great in the first half. Like they were doing a really nice job for Malik because there was a lot of times, like you said, he was sitting back there for three, four, five seconds uh, just looking. And this and does not include scrambles, by the way. Scrambles is its own thing. When I say pure dropback passes, it does not include the scrambles. Yeah, so, I mean, those that was not the case. That was not what was happening. And I just think we know we all need to be honest about what he is. Um, he doesn't have to be the greatest player in the history of the world today. Um, he could be that two, three, four years down the road. We don't know. Like, we'll see where his career goes. But, like, let's just be honest about, like, what is actually happening. Um, and not make him out to be some martyr hero that is just being failed by the organization because that's what we pretended that Mariota was. And now we found out eh, that probably really wasn't what was happening, right? So, um, yeah, it, it's let's not go down that same road again. Let, let's learn from the Mariota days and the Mariota wars in this fan base. And let's not make Malik out to be this like controversial figure because he doesn't deserve to be, frankly. Like he deserves to be treated as if he's a guy that needs some time to develop and like in a totally different era, but like Steve McNair was drafted third overall and then sat for what three, two or three seasons under Chris Chandler. Um, and I, I do remember people were going nuts at, at some point about, you know, get him, get McNair on, the field, get McNair on the field. And then he eventually was good. Right. But like those first years, he needed that time to develop and learn and like, 
Malik is a similar-ish style player to McNair. I, I think McNair was a better prospect coming out pretty clearly, so I don't want to like make that direct comparison, but uh, he's a, got similar style. He's coming from a similar program in Liberty compared to Alcorn State. So like, I think that adjustment period, while I don't think two or three years is quite necessary, most likely, I think at least a year before we even start talking about him starting uh, is fair. Like nobody should even have that on their radar right now. It, it needs to be in for the most part, I think Titans fans have done a pretty good job of acknowledging that he's not battling Brian Tannehill right now. Right. So, uh, but I also don't want to see Tannehill throw a, you know, a pick in week three and, and the whole fan base goes, put Willis in, you know, I know that's going to happen to some degree, but let's, let's do as little of that as possible. Yeah, I think, you know, just keep having realistic expectations. The practice reports are a good way for you to set your expectations because let's be honest, if you were at practice, you would see why so many people were saying that Logan Woodside's still probably the backup quarterback. I mean, you got to pay attention to what's going on in practice because that the stuff that happened in practice is oftentimes translating into preseason game as what we saw from Malik Willis. Now, let, let's be honest here. Let's. I want to say some good things about Malik Willis because I know it seems like we're just kind of harping on some stuff. I thought the way that he had command of the huddle, I thought he did some good stuff pre-snap with the motion and working with that, which is stuff that's important to the, the Titans' offense. He didn't have any real hang-ups with handing it off. I thought his play action, his actual holding onto the ball and like faking the ball to the running back was really, really good. So I think that stuff, getting your team out of the huddle into the right spots and getting the ball snapped without error is really big because they made him do under center a lot of his snaps. And that, again, is because he didn't have to do that at Liberty. So I think that when I walked away from it as, based on practice reports, a little bit more, he exceeded my expectations ever so slightly. Like if I, I thought maybe if he was coming in, I was expecting like a C minus performance and I got maybe a C plus performance. Like maybe I should say like C plus and he gave me a B, but you know, that's the kind of difference, a couple grades difference than what I expected. But I saw what I, I think everybody else sees when, and what the staff sees a smart guy who is catching on to this offense a lot quicker than I think people probably gave him credit for from the scouting and NFL community. Yeah. And, and I agree with that. I, I think I do feel like overall I came out of the game feeling better about Malik Willis than I went into the game feeling. And I wasn't down on him by any means. I, I thought he was a very interesting, you know, project uh, for them to, to work on. And, and look, he's a lottery ticket for them. Right. I mean, He's if he busts or if he turns out to be like Jacoby Brissett, you know, or or like, you know, just a decent backup in the league, then so be it. You spend a third round pick on a decent backup. And hey, I listen, he could be Case Keenum and beat the Colts in the uh, first team Colts. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, if he's if he's a Case Keenum level backup, even, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Like if he's a good backup, then that's a, a win with a third round pick. If he's uh, if he turns out to be the, you know, Mahomes, Allen um you know Lamar whatever quarterback you want to point to hype player that I think is is potentially in there if they can get it get them to to work through some of this stuff that we've been talking about um then that's a home run lottery pick franchise changing 
decision to take him. So yeah, look, he's, he's checks so many boxes and I'm really excited to watch him develop and, and you should absolutely be super excited about him, but like, let's all keep it in perspective and, and take it, you know, baby steps at a time. And, and one other thing, cause I know people, some people have said, well, you don't see Woodside getting picked apart like this uh, on Twitter because no one gives a shit about Woodside. Like let, let's be real. No one is expecting Woodside to start uh, in, in the NFL at any point in his career. Um, Willis is, and that's why there's more attention on Willis because his upside is there. You can see it and people have higher hopes for Willis. Nobody cares about Woodside. Like Woodside is what he is. He's the player that moves the needle among the Titans community so that he's going to be the player that everybody talks about. I mean, he's the main, that was always going to be the case, whether he's drafted in the first round or even drafted in the sixth round. It's Malik Willis because of his draft stock pre-draft pedigree and his exciting playmaking ability. He was going to be the guy that everybody is going to talk about no matter what team he went to. He was going to be uh, one of the main topics of conversation. That's just something you have to get used to. You have to look at it from that perspective. You want to talk about Malik Willis as a as a fan. Well, why wouldn't the media want to talk about Malik Willis as you know as as the part of their job? Like it makes no sense. The disconnect is is wild. Do you think Logan Woodside is really moving the ratings needles for anybody? Probably not. And and this other thing I've seen is that people people. And this is where the Mariota stance have come out, at least on my timeline in a couple of group chats I'm in, where they've said, well, you know, no, I can't believe Malik is getting all this criticism. No one criticized Ryan Tannehill. Oh, hello? Oh <laughs> what can we paging revisionist history here? I mean, this guy was getting death threats for putting out a recharged Celsius energy drink. Are we, what are we talking about here? Like that to me is taking it a step too far into a direction. Like, okay. Like if you're trolling, that's, that's fine. But I think that some of these people that I've talked to tend to be on the serious side, which is utterly fucking ridiculous. That is revisionist history by the, the worst case I've ever seen. It is. And, and look, even if you're trolling, it's not funny. Like, it's just not. Because, I mean, there's too many people that really believe this shit for it to be a funny troll. Yeah. Okay, good, the bad, and the ugly for the preseason. Uh, I want to go off with the ugly, and I'll say uh, Jordan Wilkins. Get him off yeah. the team. He's yeah. always been just a guy. There's a, a the I think it was uh, Justin, Mel or Justin Graver and uh, Rob Greenlaw when they first signed him and I said, Oh, he's just a guy. He's a loser. They try to point out to like his 2017, 2018 season saying, Oh, this guy could be something. He's not anything. So I'm out on Jordan Wilkins. He's, he's a hideous pass blocker. And which is crazy. Cause he was running with the ones in training camp, but obviously he's losing that spot fairly quickly. I would assume because he's not a very good pass blocker. And if you're not a good pass blocker, they have no use for you. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I'll join you on that. Wilkins was abysmal uh in that game um my my ugly will be uh justin lawler on, yeah. on the other side like god what a nightmare game like i i i don't think i've ever seen a guy that looked more like he was playing in quicksand uh than lawler like he clearly was not athletic you know what's wild game. stats wise he had he led the team in pressures really That's, yeah that according is, to pff he led the team in pressures which is insane to me yeah, I, I can't remember seeing him do anything positive. I mean, on uh, in the run game, he was getting just destroyed yeah. uh, on the edge, couldn't set the edge for anything. And then when he did lose contain, he couldn't catch up. 
Uh, so it was just, it was terrible from them. I thought. I'll say the bad was uh, Chris Jackson, the combination of Chris Jackson, and AJ Moore, AJ Moore got his ankle broken by uh, Isaiah likely on a play. And then Chris Jackson just had a terrible night. And I felt so bad for him because we've seen him play good, but we've also seen that version of Chris Jackson. And it was not a, uh, not a great is a very bad day for those two players. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with my bad was uh, Woodside, just simply because, and we've already covered Woodside to a large degree here, but like throwing two interceptions when you're supposed to be the safe guy is not a good look, um, and he needed to do better than what he did, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what he looks like moving forward, but I thought he was pretty bad generally. I'll say the good. Uh, I'm gonna save Julius Chestnut for you because I figured that's where you're gonna go. Yeah, I was gonna I, say you, you don't steal my chestnut. I, I think I I got three sort of. I kind of got four <laughs> because all right, all right, okay, we'll, we'll do them all. okay. Levin I think played a really good game. Corey Levin I think he solidified a spot on this team fairly quickly, and he obviously, based on Aaron Brewer's performance, should be the preferred backup to Ben Jones in my opinion. Then you got David Anini, who I think is going to play his way onto the practice squad fairly easily. Uh, do not buy and get all hyped up. Reggie Roberson, remember him? This is kind of getting that feeling and everything. Let's let's settle down on some of these undrafted free agents and, and for a second. But I do think that if you're looking at, in this team, keeping a fifth edge player, which I don't think they will, which they kind of never really do, I think it would be him. I think he'd be the next man up, obviously. I, going back and watching the tape, it's not going to come out in the box score, and I can't believe I'm saying this. Des Fitzpatrick, I think, had a good night. And, <laughs> and he was open multiple times, in the right spot, running the routes very crisp, and they asked him to block so much, and he played so many snaps, but they asked him to block so much, and he was there taking up his man manning up and blocking and i think that goes a long way in my mind that's your i think your six if they keep six wide receivers because i think there's a debate they may not but if they keep six wide receivers i think des fitzpatrick has that job firmly right now because then he also followed that up with a good practice on sunday and uh i'm gonna say i think a big winner that nobody's talking about except for that they think that he should be traded away or the the project is over Dylan Raidens played seven snaps, and I think that's a big sign that they know what they got out of Dylan Raidens. They see enough at camp, and they don't need him to have extended playing time. I, I, maybe I'm reading too much into it. We'll see how it goes, but it sounds like to me like I think what they're doing is if Raidens goes down with injury, here comes NPF needs to be ready, and they're trying to give quality snaps to NPF, much like they're giving quality snaps to Malik Willis. They don't need to see him from Raidens for whatever reason. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but seven snaps, I mean, give me a break. Yeah, and so I'm going to have an in-depth piece on uh, MPF and Raidens for uh, PaulKabarski.com well, today, um, I guess. Uh, that'll be going up. So uh, I've got some thoughts there, and I do agree that seven snaps likely tells you that and the fact that they gave NPF snaps at left tackle – Felt to me like they were saying Raidens is probably your starter and that MPF needs to be the swing tackle because he needs to be ready in case Lawan goes down. So they got him a few snaps, snaps on the left side too. So I thought that was a good way to like kind of read that. Although I thought the performances were close. I thought yeah. 
Raiden's was mostly good. I mean, seven snaps is so hard to tell anything off of, but he had some impressive moments. Um, he did have one pass protection snap that I thought was shaky. Um, MPF had some, I'd say he was more up and down. Like his highs were higher uh, than what we saw from Raiden's again, seven snaps, like not enough to really judge a lot off of, but um MPF. seven snaps with uh who was that right guard um, uh jordan Roos? no 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 uh it was levin levin was it right guard oh was levin that right guard at the beginning seven snaps. and that's yeah, like a totally different i i don't know what the second team third team offensive lines are looking at in practice or whatever that feels like it's a total game changer for someone like dylan Raines, who's probably not with those guys I, i'm just chemistry yeah. i feel like yeah. chemistry is sometimes uh not taken into account on some of these plays yeah yeah, and I'd agree with that. And and I think um, but I thought M- MPF, I would put him in a good category because I, I thought he showed flashes of like what he can be. And physically he is like absolutely like looking the part to me. And and everything that went poorly for him, I felt like was stuff that you kind of expect from a rookie uh to some degree. So I think the arrow is pointing up for really both of those tackles, honestly. Um like coming out of that game. And then uh, the other goods, I want to say Caleb Farley um, looked pretty good. I thought it was important for him to get as many snaps as he did. Um, He ended up playing, I think, three or four series and uh, looked pretty good. Now, you could definitely see, like, there was a play, the first down completion that he had against him, which was the very first throw in his direction. He goes to cut off of that, uh, I think it's his left knee, right? Uh, And very clearly isn't a hundred percent comfortable cutting off of his left leg yet. Cause he kind of re he kind of starts to plant off of it and then eases up and has to kind of chop his feet and slips because of it um, coming back downhill, which ended up making that a pretty easy completion. If he is able to slam that foot in the ground confidently, I think he can test that catch, but overall I thought he looked good. It was good. Good to see him get some snaps out there. Um, he had some other snaps where he was really plastered uh, for a long time, even when the quarterback broke the pocket and did a nice job there. So positive um, overall from Farley. And then the other positive that I have to get to is my boy, Julius Chestnut, who I did not expect to like uh, until I went out to camp and he busts this 60 yard touchdown run in camp. And then he turns around a couple of days later in this game and, you know, has 38 yards after contact uh, on 44 total rushing yards um, on what was it? Eight carries. I think it was. Um, so no, seven carries. So uh, averaged over five yards after contact per carry, um, which is nuts. And a lot of it, of course, you know, that, that long run that he had um, off of the right side, a lot of that did come on that one run. But, look, he broke multiple, multiple tackles on that run. He looked powerful. He looked quick. Um, there was a couple runs where I felt like he probably left some yards on the field after going back and watching it, too. And, of course, he had the fumble, which was not a great start. Uh, so it, it was a bit of a mixed bag. But I saw a lot out of him that I felt like was like, look, people will compare it to Makai Sargent, and I get it. He had a lot of – I'm one of those here. people. I, know, I, I understand know. that there are different body types, but at the end yes. of the day, they're both going to end up on the practice squad. But Chestnut is 5'10", 228, I think it is. He's a bowling ball of a human. Um, he's very tough to tackle. He put up silly numbers in college, albeit at a small school. 
Um, I think he's got like a, now like they're not, I, I can't see how they're going to keep both him and Haskins on the roster. Like that, that's just not going to happen. At least not unless they somehow decide they're not going to keep Hilliard, which would be a, a huge upset. I think, cause I think Hilliard is going to get the third down role. And then I think you're going to have Haskins most likely as the Henry backup slash special teams contributor. But I didn't, ex- I, I'm not saying that it's like a dead heat or anything, but I think the door is cracked for chestnut to get in there and steal that job away from Haskins. Um, I wouldn't bet on it, but I just, I, I think them starting chestnut is a little bit telling that they really like him a good bit. Um, and then I thought he was very impressive. Like I really did. And, and these preseason games really are important. I think for running backs and linebackers and offensive linemen and defensive linemen, because it is full contact. You really can see um, who can break tackles, who can't that kind of thing. Um, and you know, Haskins wasn't bad either. So I'm not saying Haskins was bad, but I thought Haskins left some yards on the field too. Um, Haskins hands though are so fucking good. He's got good hands. It, the interesting thing to me would be, at some point, do you think Haskins could be the third down back? And then that, you know, you don't necessarily need Hilliard. So you could have Henry Haskins and Chestnut uh, on the roster with, uh, yeah, and maybe that could be a potential. But I think Chestnut has put himself at least into the fringe conversation uh, for the roster and definitely onto the practice squad. Like you would definitely want to keep on or keep hold on to him and see what else you've got. Cause that, there was some exciting stuff. I thought that he put on tape uh, in that game. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. And, and I, I think it to an extent is like, I'm not, I'm trying my best not to buy into the hype of an undrafted free agent running back or wide receiver. And, and I think that when you start building out your 53, which we're about to start doing, I think it's hard to find a spot for Julius Chestnut. And I think the guy that can make it through waivers would obviously be Julius Chestnut, in my in my opinion. So let's start going through this 53-man projection real quick. I got three quarterbacks, Ryan Tannehill, Malik Willis, Logan Woodside. Do you still think right now they're keeping three quarterbacks? Yeah, I think so. Until, Where do until you put Willis, it, like well, percent-wise? Uh, I'd say 90% right now. That's that's um, where exactly where I'm at. It's 90% chance. It was 95%. Now I'm at 90. Yeah. I, I think, you know, it would take a Willis would have to show a lot for them to only keep two, I think. And there's very limited time for the, him to do that. Now, if they keep three, in your opinion, all three active on game day, or is it just going to be Tannehill and Woodside active? I had been thinking just Tannehill and Woodside, but, you know, Jeremy Fowler's piece on, in for ESPN did suggest that the Titans may be looking at having a Willis, some Willis packages, um, which was interesting. And that was the first time I've really seen that reported anywhere. So um, I think, I think if that's the case and, and Fowler is a good reporter, I have no reason to doubt that it would be And the Titans have been using Willis in that, you know, that uh, they do that tackling drill, the tackling angles drill. They have been having Willis out there for that, which tells me they've, I think see some value in getting him some work in that setting, which could suggest that they're going to use him in some sort of role. Um, it would be very interesting to see. I, I don't, I don't know if it'll be every game, but I could see them busting that out for a few games uh, here and there. Okay. Running backs. I got, I'm got four currently. Cause we talked about the four, but well, sort of Derek Henry, Dontrell Hilliard, Hassan Haskins, Tory Carter's my four. 
Now you may make a point for Trenton Cannon, but I got that tackled that information tackled later on. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the same four as you. Um, gotcha. And and I do think Chestnut could factor in somewhere potentially, but not I'm not convinced yet. And you look at it, they they've kept three, four, three, four in the last under Coach Frable. So the, I've got all these up to kind of have a little historical context. I think the wide receivers are at six. I think that you could make the case that Des Fitzpatrick may go on the practice squad and they may just keep five. Uh, they may, if they're keeping three quarterbacks, but you can keep three quarterbacks and six wide receivers and still fill out a healthy roster either way. So I got Robert Woods, NWI, Traylon Burks, Kyle Phillips, Racy McMath, Des Fitzpatrick. And I think Racy McMath, Kyle Phillips have both shown that Trenton Cannon is expendable. And I think that's why they can get rid of Trenton Cannon. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I don't think Cannon is needed from a return standpoint. How safe do you think that Des Fitzpatrick is at the six right now? Do you really think Mason Kinsey, who can only play the slot, is something that the Titans really need? Because that's that's kind of where I'm at. Like, I get that Mason Kinsey shows flashes. He's always there. He's always in the right spot. But this team has shown that if it's if Kyle Phillips goes down, it's Robert Woods, NWI, Traylon Burks, Racy McMath, Des Fitzpatrick. All those guys, except for McMath, four of those guys can play a slot snaps when you need it. Yeah, yeah. I don't think there's any point in keeping Kinsey. Um, I think the sixth spot is pretty safely Des's right now because I think Malone has faded big time. Um, and yeah, I just don't. I, Roberson hasn't made enough of a push for for me to get really excited about that. So I think it's Des's spot almost by default. Here's where things get a little tricky because last year they kept three and that was the first time they kept three tight ends. I have them going three again, because I just don't know if Tommy Hudson could be really relied upon to waste a roster spot on right now. He's someone that you can stash away if, on the practice squad fairly easily. So I got Austin Hooper, Chico Conquo and Jeff Swain. I do wonder Briley Moore is, is looking pretty good at a, on the uh, preseason. He could push Tommy Hudson for that fourth quarter or tight end spot. Jalen Weidermeyer no, <laughs> recently got just saying this team did show a lot of interest in Jalen Weidermeyer. It's kind of a surprise he cleared waivers, but I guess maybe the Titans are waiting for cuts to go through or whatever. I wouldn't be surprised if Jalen Weidermeyer shows up at preseason over here at Tennessee Titans. God, I hope not. I, I, Watermeyer is one of those guys that like there's so many people that were calling him tight end one and like thinking he was great and then like he had that horrific combine and everyone's like oh it's just the combine when Lance Zierlein was pointing out that like no tight end with those numbers had ever become good in, in NFL <laughs> history um and uh and then he's immediately cut after not being drafted so yeah I, I have zero interest in Watermeyer. And I hope they were just interviewing Watermeyer to like get more information on Kenyon Green or something. Oh like that. yeah, that's maybe. what I told myself at night. Anyway, do you think three or four tight ends? I'm gonna say three, although I do think there is a real possibility that they would keep Hudson or. Warren. Yeah, they like Hudson, but I just don't know. If, do you really rely on a guy like that? I mean, it, it's tough for me. Um, so offensive linemen, this is where it kind of gets a little interesting because. They, they've kept nine, they've kept eight for two years, and they've kept 10 during the COVID year because I think uh, technically like Lawan and a couple of guys were sick and all this stuff. Like that was kind of like a weird year for roster. But 
I have them keep an eight. And I, I got Taylor Lewan, Aaron Brewer, Ben Jones, Nate Davis, Dylan Radens, NPF, Jamarco Jones, Corey Levin. Now, who I think is interesting is Jordan Ruse, who could make the team if he continues the trajectory, and they could keep nine. That's I have basically the way I have it listed right now, I have 51 spots. So like if I could see Jordan Ruse being one of the guys that comes in and claims one of those final two spots in the 53. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm where I'm at too. I think those eight that you mentioned are, are pretty much a lock um, down through basically eleven, I guess. Um, and then I do think Roos is probably the next guy uh, to me, with maybe uh, Xavier Newman Johnson or uh, who's the other guy? Thought might uh, Howardson, Hayden Howardson. I think maybe those two guys could get in the mix as UDFA rookies, but I think Roos is really Roos was was good in that preseason game. Yeah. Um and he's been here for a couple of years now. So I think he's probably got the inside track on the ninth OL spot. And I've seen people say that other people have said that the majority think they're keeping six defensive linemen. Now <laughs> I've never been under that impression. I and I haven't seen if I've seen if there's an article that's came out like that, I've just missed it. But I've always been under the impression it's it's four plus one. And over time, I thought it was a pretty open competition. But now Demarcus Walker seems to be the guy. You could make a case for Jaden Peavy, but I think he's a practice squad guy. And I think Deshaun Hand showed some flashes, but I ultimately think he's a practice squad guy as well. I think it's Jeffrey Simmons, Nico Autry, Tier Tart, Naquan Jones, Demarcus Walker. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think those five are are pretty well a lock. Um, and the you know, I think if you were going to keep another one, Hand and PV are probably the next two. Um, to me, uh, but it would be a little surprising. I I agree that, that if they kept six, to me, because the problem part of the problem is that these guys don't really do anything on special teams for you. So. Um, it makes it harder to get a, an extra guy at that spot if you're going to try to put him on the line. Yeah, inside linebacker, I have five as well. David Long, Zach Cunningham, Monty Rice, Dylan Cole, and Chance Campbell. Yeah, I think that's pretty cut and dry. Yeah, I, I thought Joe Jones does anything. Yeah, and uh, Dr. Gibby, I think, would only make the roster after the initial 53. Like, if they're going to have these five guys, and then maybe Monty Rice goes on to, like, an injury reserve or whatever it is, you know, during this time. And then they bring back Jack Gibby for the roster yeah. spot or whatever. Uh, yeah, I would say Gibbons is a priority walk – or pri not priority walk on priority uh, <laughs> uh, practice squad guy. And then we talked about it earlier, but when we talked about David and Ninny, uh, four outside linebackers, Harold Landry, Bud Dupree, Rashad Weaver, Ola Denny. Yeah, and I think you can go lighter there because effectively Danico Autry and Demarcus Walker are both right. capable of playing on the edge. So, yeah, and uh, I got six defensive back or car cornerbacks. I got Caleb Farley, Christian Fulton, Elijah Molden, Roger McCreary, Greg Maven, Chris Jackson. Now, what I, what I think is interesting about this is first off, like I said, we have fifty one. I think they could keep Shakur Brown too because I worry about their faith in Greg Maben and then also the health of Chris Jackson. Yeah. I, I honestly think even with, even without knowing Chris Jackson's injuries, 
situation. I kind of think it's Shakira Brown over Chris Jackson. Um, which you gotcha. That's interesting. Brown, I almost put that. Brown is is more limited in the fact that I think he can only play inside. I don't think you want him playing outside corner, whereas Chris Jackson can play both. But I I feel like Brown, they like him a lot. He's played well in camp and you know, he was working pretty high up uh in the rotation when I was out there. So I, I think and he makes it like a play or pass breakup every day at camp. And I'll say this, and I think we even talked about on the podcast, you know, going into that draft of, of 2021, I was really big on Shakur Brown's physical traits as far as the, his technique playing the, uh, the cornerback spot. And I was really surprised that he was, an, he went undrafted free agent and then ended up washing out going to Pittsburgh Maulers, but he's worked his way back up and the, if there's something the Tennessee Titans like, it's a guy that pulls himself up and proves that he loves football and he'll do whatever it takes to get back into playing the game. They love the bootstrappers. Love the bootstrappers. So you think six for sure, seven's a maybe, and if it's six, you think Brown over Jackson. I think, yeah, I think six Brown over Jackson. And, and I don't know that Mabin's a lock. Like, I could see Shaheem Carter. Uh, he he did have a good game. Um, and you know, even trace willing, I think has potential to, to sneak in there too. I think those last two spots are kind of wide open at this point. I had initially yeah. thought Chris Jackson would be a lock, but he's had a little bit of a rough camp and had a really bad preseason game. And now he's hurt. So, um, I think there's, there's a big opening for a couple corners to sneak in there. Uh, for safety, I just got four, Amani hooker, Kevin Byard, Theo Jackson, and AJ Moore. I don't know if there's another safety that's really came out. And then when you have guys like Elijah Molden and um, even Shaheem Carter, who could probably play a little bit of box safety and stuff like that. I, I don't. And then you got the linebackers. I don't know if they need a fifth safety. Yeah. I don't, I don't even know who that would be. Would, I think it'd be Josh Kalou if they kept one. Oh yeah, I guess um, so. But you know, he's more of a special teams guy anyway. So I could see Kalou making the roster, but I don't know that you have to. Then we got Kern, uh, Randy Bullock, and uh, Morgan Cox. Right, he's the long snapper. Yeah. You mean Stonehouse? Uh, uh, no, Bullock. so you're going, you're going Stonehouse, huh? I'm, I'm throwing Stonehouse in there. And look, like you don't care about his his holding duties yesterday. I, I will say that the holding numbers, the fact that Randy Bullock had his worst day of camp with Stonehouse holding, um, is concerning, and that is the biggest, I think, stumbling block right now for Stonehouse. And let me say something about that is that uh, inside reporting, Kirby Allen Kirby said that before that, on by himself, when he had like a plastic holder, Randy Bullock was hitting all of them. He didn't miss one oh. from anywhere out. And then here comes Stonehouse, and there you go. Oh, so it's I, not I a conspiracy theory. I, yeah, I don't doubt that it's, it had an effect because, and frankly, like first time working with a new holder, like it's, it's, not surprising to me um that that there were some issues there but you would hope that maybe gets ironed out if they give them some more opportunities uh to work with them but yeah i feel like that's one of those things they're gonna have to decide on pretty quickly because you want to get those guys as many reps as possible if you are going to pull uh and go stonehouse well current current's not going in softly into that good night because no, he, he was good he was good he was not just good he was pinpoint accurate again and i think that's and he had uh, signs of some good leg strength and my concern about buying into the current height is how long does that leg last how long does that accuracy last now, yeah, maybe you can put Stonehouse towards the end, but if you look at the punter highlights from this weekend, it's Matt Arizia, the punt guard, punt god, and then it was Ryan Stonehouse because 
while Ryan Stonehouse couldn't keep his ball in bounds, he put it up so high that it scared a Ravens player to calling a fair catch with nobody within 10 to 20 yards of him. That's wild. He boomed. Yeah. It was, it was a casual 60 yard punt that dropped right (laughs) on the sideline. So, um, it was, I thought Stonehouse was really impressive. I thought Kern was really impressive too. And Kern did mention, you know, I know he, I heard him say that he changed some things this off season, I think diet wise and things like that to try to, you know, get back to, to where he could, get more kicks per day. I think it was that, that he really had to scale back uh, last year at some point, just because his his leg was, was feeling it after games. Um, And, you know, you wonder, is that enough to stave off, uh, you know, father time for another year, or are we just going to see him deteriorate as the year goes on because he's 36 years old and, and, you know, it's not the same guy that he was that he used to be physically. So uh, yeah, Kern Stonehouse to me is one of the most interesting subplots for the rest of camp and leading up to the final cut day. Cause I think it'll come down to the final cut day and I'm not, yeah, I'm not totally sure that Stonehouse makes it through waivers if they do cut him. So you, you may not be able to get him back on the practice squad to, to try to stash him for, for the future. Yeah. I, I think it'll be interesting to see because they do, I mean, we went through it, and like like I said, outside of keeping, you know, maybe a uh, second punter or a fifth running back or a seventh cornerback, we went through and laid out a pretty deep 51 players, We and we have two spots left. So I think that this goes to show you that you can keep three quarterbacks, and it really doesn't matter who quarterback two and quarterback three is. So we, were, um, we were at 52. We, we ended up at 51, unless you were going to count keeping seven DBs. Yeah, I, I would say if we were going to add two, I would probably add a fourth tight end. And You got ninth offensive lineman, sixth defensive lineman, or seventh cornerback. I'd probably add Ruth uh, to the offensive yeah. line. So, I mean, that's uh, still pretty deep, right? I mean, and speaking of a deep, a deep roster that is probably the deepest roster in the NFL was on full display on Sunday because we can't get away without doing some Colts slander. The Indianapolis Colts look like utter trash. Their first team offense and their first team defense got manhandled by the Buffalo Bills second team offense and the Buffalo Bills second team defense. How utterly embarrassing, and especially because reports by the Indianapolis media has been so glowing about this team. But if you check Zach Kiefer, the um, the flag waiver for the horseshoe over there that works for, I guess, Stampede Blue or whatever stupid-ass shit they have up in Indianapolis, he has been touting how great this offense has looked, blah, blah, blah. Well, down in the comments, someone else that has been covering the Colts says, well, you can see why sloppy play is why Matt Ryan was out there playing. And that slot. So apparently the sloppy play has always been there and nobody's talking about, but if you go and look at reports and ignore the glowing reviews of all these players, the, you see that the defense wins almost every period. It doesn't even matter that the, the Colts look like a super bowl offense, supposedly to Colts media. The defense has been winning every time. And both teams are both of those units look like, um, utter crap in the, in the yeah. four, four, what they should have looked like. 
Yeah. Oh, and then the, the apologist Colts media comes out afterwards and it's like, well, you know, it's because the, the, they didn't want to show the receivers doing what they're really going to do in the season. It's this double top secret routes. Uh, they're not running the real routes they're running the fake routes for the preseason. So yeah, it, it's just all a bunch of like the, the indie media. And I know like a lot of people go hard on like Nashville media saying like Nashville media soft or whatever compared to New York or whatever, but the Nashville media is not, I don't one, I don't think the national media is soft at this point, you know, generally, but it's nothing compared to indie. If you want to talk about a soft media, because indies media slurps up Chris Ballard. Like he is God's gift to football. He's one game above 500 in five years as general manager. And he was gifted an all-time elite quarterback, which of course, you know, he, he helped, you know, have him retire on him because, you know, they couldn't protect him and everything else that, that went into it. But uh, even if you want to give him some credit for, for the luck thing, that credit has long since expired because you're on quarterback number three, no, no quarterback number four post luck. And so if Matt Ryan doesn't work out, I don't want to hear any more Chris Ballard is great. Chris Ballard is, is awesome. Chris Ballard's so smart. He's just the, the best GM ever. Chris Ballard needs to prove it at this point, and it's not off to a great start, and you, know, you really hate to see it. There's a better than average chance that this Colts team ends up worse than last year's Colts team. I mean, Darius Leonard's fighting back injuries, ankle injuries. Their left tackle sucks. The offensive line doesn't look that great. Um, you you don't have any wide receivers. Their tight ends are trash. I mean, they're talking like Kyle Granson is like the 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 the, the, the new hotness, you know, of tight ends. Like he's going to be something. I mean, you got Mo Ali Cox, Kyle Granson, uh, Jelani Woods can can even make it up. To like I think he's fourth on the depth chart for tight ends. Um, and then they're talking about oh, yesterday I saw the tweet and I sent it to you when I asked you on the show. Uh, Michael Strachan, or however you say his last name. Yeah. Uh, where's he from? Isn't he from like a small uh, school like UCF yeah, or something? Like, yeah, nowhere school. Yeah, he's from some small school. But they said the Colts get back ta- talented wide receiver Michael Strachan, and he should be a uh, a much-needed boost for this wide receiver core. Like, why are you even hyping up this guy? Like he has done nothing. It's like Paris Campbell. Paris Campbell has done nothing. And he's still the number two wide receiver. And you can't rely on that. And Alec Pierce can't beat that guy out. Like I get it. They have a couple of guys. I was probably one of the Titans to draft in appropriate rounds that, you know, like Jelani Woods, I thought would be a good flyer in the fourth or fifth round, you know, but let, let's spare me that this team is a Super Bowl contenders or not even right now. I think they're struggling to be second place AFC South contenders. I think that the, they're a lot closer to the Jaguars and to the Texans than they will be to the Titans. I think that's how bad this, this team is going to fall compared to last year. Uh, that would be very funny. Um, yeah, Michael Michael Strachan went to uh, Charleston. That's um, what it was. I knew it was like a C name in there. In, in West Virginia, not like Charleston, South Carolina. Somehow. <laughs> so I, you know, who knows what the hell that um but yeah it is uh yeah the colts the colts are so annoying but yeah i think it'll be interesting to see how they play it's there's it's just, so much relying on paris campbell and michael Pittman, who apparently has not been that great uh in camp 
there's so much relying on a bunch of no-name receivers that have not ever really done anything. Like Pittman was okay last year, but he's not he's not an, a, a top 20 receiver in the league. Like he's just not. So they've got a bottom of the barrel receiving core. Uh, they don't really have any special tight ends. Like, I just don't know, like Jonathan Taylor's really good. Naheem Hines is really good. Um, they've got a couple offensive linemen that are good, but that's, that's about it. I the problem with Naheem Hines, Jonathan Taylor, both being pretty good is that they both play the same position. Well, so, yeah. and we have seen in the Phillip rivers years, that they'll take Jonathan Taylor off the field inexplicably for whatever reason and put in Naheem Hines and yeah. let Naheem Hines play full series and full 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 quarters and all this kind of stuff. And that's what they're going to do again with Matt Ryan because he can't throw the ball down the field. I don't care what anybody says. You're going to see a Phillip Rivers-type offense, except that it's going to be worse because the offensive line is worse. I think the pass catchers are arguably worse. The tight ends are are definitely worse than what Philip Rivers had. I mean, Mo Alley Cox is 29. He is the elder statesman of the AFC South tight end room. Isn't that wild to think that he is the he's the el- the one with the most snaps? And then you have a defense that is really struggling to do anything. I mean, they're not they don't have Quiddy Pay and their edge rushers aren't that great. Yannick Nagakwe can't do anything on first to second down. I mean, he's essentially just a third down pass rush specialist that, you know, just to me, their, their quarterback room is a mess. It, it's a, it's a utter disaster that nobody's really talking about, except for in the sense that they're ignoring it all, sweeping it all under the rug because Jim Irsay pays him a bunch of money. Yeah. Every, every uh, national podcast I listen to talks about, uh, you know, Super Bowl, Super Bowl contenders, and they always throw the Colts in there. Yeah, you know, oh, the Colts could win the Super Bowl if things break right. No, they can't. Yeah, the things things would have 100%. to break like insanely right for the Colts to make it to the Super Bowl. Like It'd have half to half of the starting quarterbacks in the <laughs> yeah. AFC getting injured or something. Yeah, they like would that. all have to get injured, and maybe a bunch of running backs and wide receivers would have to get injured too. Like this is not a Super Bowl roster. It's not a Super Bowl team, and I don't think they have a Super Bowl coach and their defensive coordinator is not Matt Eberfluss, who I will say is not head coach materials so far in Chicago, but he's a lot better defensive coordinator than he is head coach. Uh, plug whatever you got going on this week, Mike. Yeah, so uh, on Wednesday, I will have uh, some breakdown of Nicholas petit Frere and Dylan Radins uh, in their first preseason action and kind of talking about where the right tackle battle stands and what to look for moving forward with those guys as far as things they can improve on and some of the technique stuff uh, that I think the Titans will want to see uh, kind of develop over the rest of the preseason. But uh, that's what I've got coming up. And then, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll try to start some more Twitter controversies uh, uh, hopefully soon. All right. Well, that will do it for us. Remember, we are brought to you by Jasper's Nashville. They have game night coming up August 24th at 6 p.m. They're going to have a couple of uh, looks like um, fun games going on, some board games. They're going to have some beer specials, some drink specials. They also have these this new catering package, which is essentially tailgating at your home. Or if you just want to pick it up before a game and you know cook it the next day, you could do that. Taco bars. They got all kinds of appetizers and hot wings, stuff like that. Cool little things they got going on down at Jasper's in Nashville. I'm telling you, best salad in Nashville resides at Jasper's. It is called the Shrimp and Goodies. 
It is potato salad with capers, shrimp, and and a salad on top of all of that. And it is it sounds weird. It's definitely a weird thing. I swear by it is the best salad you will ever have in your life. It's like it's orgasmic. It is pure orgasmic. Like it's gonna you're gonna take a bite and you're gonna be like, holy shit, I may not be able to make it home. I need new pants. (laughs) I gotta sneak off to the bathroom. Is that good? So go to Jasper's in Nashville, go to the next evolution of sports bar. It's changing the way that you can enjoy dining out and watching sports. You'll love it. I swear to God. Uh, for Mike Herndon, you can follow him on Twitter at Mike Miracles and read all of his stuff, podcarski.com. I'm Zach Lyons. You can follow me on Twitter at FWordspod, and you can t- watch me argue with Braden on Mondays and Thursdays on a football show at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time on YouTube, on Twitter. Twitter has been a little glitchy lately, and they can't figure that out, where they just send a link and not the actual video anymore. It's kind of weird. So go to YouTube, turn on notifications, go to Facebook. If you're if you're a granddad listening to this and you enjoy being on Facebook, go to Facebook and like uh, 440 Sports and like Broadway Sports Media and listen to all the shows. Hopefully, next week, possibly, a new host, new co-host with me on next week we'll see we'll see i'm i'm waiting word this week that we can unleash the beast for mike i'm zach this is football and other efforts and you have just been effed Broadway Sports Media Production.